Welcome to Photodub. This is a podcast by and for working photographers with Ren and Jen. Today we got Kat Borchart. She is an LA-based commercial photographer focusing on lifestyle and beauty, amongst other things. Her images are laid back and full of energy with compositions that transport you alongside the talent. Or at least for me, that's how I feel. I really love your work, Kat. You're so sweet, thank you. She shot for clients like Crew, Instagram, Lululemon, and Moroccan Oil. Welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you for having me. I'm such a big fan. I'm excited to be here. Super, super excited. And I just want to start off just by asking how your year has been so far. I feel really lucky. I've been really busy this year. I've been traveling a lot. I've been on set a lot. I just finished a four-day project. Um, I have a couple weeks off, which I'm really excited about. And then I'll be in New York for a couple weeks in May. So nice. it's super fun. Yes. That's awesome. When you get super busy, do you get tired? <laughs> Yes. Uh, Yes, I definitely do. I think, yeah, you just kind of feel like you need to shake up what you're looking at for a little bit. Or I really love to take like a, not a digital detox, but like try to be on my computer as little as possible. Try not to fall down Instagram rabbit holes, although that's really hard. You know, spend time. I really like to garden. I've been doing a lot of that lately and um, like trying to read books, like actual books instead of like reading things on my phone um, has been really nice too, just to like rest my eyes a little bit sometimes. Or I, I also love to have a lot of alone time, <laughs> like yeah. to just kind of decompress, you know, you come on jobs and there's, there's 50 people on set. And as the photographer, as the director, you're like kind of talking to every single person. And sometimes I'll come home and my husband will be like, how'd it go? Like, what did that thing work out? And I'm like, everything was totally fine. But can I tell you about it tomorrow? Like, yeah, I'm just like, like, I just I, need a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And especially if you're on a multi day job, you're just like, that didn't work today. But then it worked the next day. And yeah, you're just kind of pulled in so many different directions. And it can really like kind of mess with your head. So it's nice to kind of take some like, get some good sleep, eat, kind of just do all the basic, all the basic maintenance things that you have to do to live. Do you ever take formal time off? Or do you just squeeze it in? when you get it. I just squeeze it in when I can get it. I think one time you guys did a poll about like if work-life balance exists and I was like it to me it it doesn't really. I mean I think work-life balance is like totally a choice and everyone's lives are different. Everyone's like circumstances are different so work-life balance can look different for everyone. For me you know I'm married but I don't I don't have kids. I have two cats so I can you know, kind of, t- I take work on the weekend sometimes. We'll usually each do, my husband's freelance as well. We'll um, have like one day during the weekend where we both work for like a half day because we can like catch up on things and like no one is emailing us. So we can like really get in some thoughtful time on on projects or ideas or just things that are in the works. Um, but I just try to take the time when I can get it and make the most of it. Um, but even some of my downtime, you know, I have a couple weeks off coming up and I'm probably going to do some test shoots. We, we had talked about taking a vacation and my husband's working on a really intense project right now that I think he'd probably love the extra time to catch up on, even though I'm off. So we made the decision to, to not take a vacation, which we still have not taken a vacation since COVID. Our oh last, my gosh. We went to Japan in 2019, like in September. And that was the last time that we took a real vacation. So it's on the list, but we've sort of put some other things in the way. We we still take weekend trips. You know, we do Palm Springs or something now and then, but um, 
yeah, I just, I try to take, you know, I take time off, even I'll put test shoots in or I'll work on decks for shoots I want to be doing. I kind of put in that creative work when there isn't a lot swirling around that can distract me. I can put in, you know, that really thoughtful time on things. We just recorded an episode about how we came up into the photography world and how both of us, I mean, Ren has a film background, so relatable. I went to design school, but we were just talking about how different it is probably now than when we came up. Just curious to hear your thoughts on that. I think part of this was because you also went to Brooks, a photography school. And I feel like a lot of photographers, at least the sense that I'm getting is a lot of photographers now because it's it is so common to be a photographer I feel like people can just decide like I'm gonna be a photographer and they just go for it and I feel like I hear less about that process of like education and assisting and all of that stuff well I sort of did do that but I did it when I was really young so when I went to high school when I was like transitioning from eighth grade to ninth grade um I wanted to be in, um, I wanted to be on the news in the newspaper class. Like I wanted to work in the newspaper. I really wanted to like write. When I was growing up, my mom was like a big reader. I read a lot. I journaled a lot. I wrote a lot. Um, I thought I was going to go to college for English and, and kind of go into journalism. And so I applied to be in the newspaper class and accidentally they placed me in yearbook, which you can't be in the yearbook class when you're a freshman, you have to apply for like your sophomore year. So I accidentally was put in the yearbook class and it was taking them a really long time to switch me for some reason. And so I sat in the class for like two or three weeks and I was there and I was like, Hey, I'm just like sitting here. Can I just like do something? (laughs) And so my teacher just started, he kept me on staff and he gave me things to do. And I was on yearbook for all four years of high school. I ended up being assistant editor and then editor in chief. We actually, this is going to make me feel really old. Our yearbook was the first like full color yearbook that they (laughs) made. Um, You you know, yearbooks in past, there would be certain sections that were in color, like maybe the senior photos or something like that. But a lot of the book was printed in black and white. No, I mean, I'm pretty sure some of mine are also in black and white. So don't feel that bad. Like, I'm pretty sure thinking about it, you're exactly right. There's only like a few pages that are in color. Totally. Because they were more expensive. They were significantly more expensive to print. Um, So I was on the yearbook staff and I really had my fingers in like everything. Each person was kind of given certain assignments at the beginning of the year that they would sort of see through. So they'd be like, oh, you you guys are covering sports. You guys are covering um, extracurriculars, you guys cut co- like prom was a thing that everybody wanted to cover. Um, you know, each person was responsible for collecting all the like class pictures that were taken and um, comments that you leave under your senior photo and things like that. Anyway, um, but I, I was like, oh, you know, doing layout and design is really cool. And I was like, maybe I want to like work in editorial. I want to work at a magazine. And my memory is not that great. High school is a long time ago, but for some reason, it maybe it was a job fair or something. I realized that you can't make a lot of money or may, potentially make a living that well in the editorial world. And around that time, Brooks actually sent reps to high schools to kind of convince people to come over there. And in hindsight, I maybe realized they did that in my area because I grew up in Monrovia, which is outside of Pasadena, um, which is where Art Center is. So maybe in hindsight, Brooks was sort of coming to kind of let people know that they existed as well, um, since Art Center is in Pasadena. 
And they kind of gave a presentation about going to Brooks and they, you know, they had a stills program, a film program, and then they had a lot of different kind of sub majors. You know, you could be like an industrial major, you could be a commercial advertising major. So I kind of was like, I'm just going to go to Brooks. And so I didn't have to take the SAT. Um, you know, I basically when I entered my senior year, all the AP classes I had taken, like already qualified me to get in. So Whoa. I was just like, I finished my senior year. I had a summer job for like two weeks. And then I moved up to Santa Barbara and started Brooks. And how Brooks worked was you would join in a session and sessions are two months long and you get a two week break in between, but it goes year round. So you don't really get a summer off. Um, you kind of work these intense two months and then you get time off in between. Um, so I started, I started my first class, I think in maybe in like August, like right after I had graduated high school. Um, so that's kind of at least what the start was of going to Brooks. Overall, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the way to ask the question that we were asking about how your generation, I mean, I think we're the same age, but our generation of people came up through photography to where you are now versus maybe the current generation of people. Totally. Well, I guess one of the questions you'd sent me earlier too was like, if I felt like kind of going to Brooks was a good idea in some frame. And I think because I was so young at the time, I did, I needed college. Like I needed a framework and I needed background. I, like no one in my family is in the industry. I didn't have that moment. Like you read some photographer's bios and they're like, I was born and then my grandfather gave me a camera. And then like, I just, I had a career like that didn't happen right. to me. Um, I had a lot of different jobs and a lot of different interests, like throughout high school. And when I was younger, I had no idea that that was something I wanted to do. But I think being a photographer is really like, a jack of all trades kind of job. And so, you know, being, having a lot of different hobbies just kind of really helped me kind of fall into that path. So from a young age, I kind of did fall into that, like, I'm just going to be a photographer, but I needed the framework of school. Um, I did do a lot of like growing up when I was there. I had a lot of other new friends I had made that were also 18 and we lived in Isla Vista and we partied and we like still went to classes, but we had a lot of fun. The session that I fell into at Brooks, we were the last session that did film. So our first, oh, wow. I think like six classes were all film classes. We had to buy four by five cameras. They had a dark room on site. So we had to like mix our own chemicals, develop our own film, make our own prints. And then we also had to cut our own mats and like frame everything ourselves. Um, and I think that that those assignments and that experience even though I don't shoot film now, I just shoot digital. Having that background was was and is like so important to my career now. We um we had this studio lighting class and there was this one infamous assignment called black glass. And you basically take two mirrors, you kind of have this set and you have a blue ball in the middle and you have to light, I can't remember how many combinations, I think it was like nine to 12, different gradients all ranging from like, white without detail to black without detail. And they, they have a oh, list wow. of all these combinations you have to get. So they'll be like, you need this gradient in this mirror, but this mirror needs to be middle gray. Oh, and they wow. had like a, the teacher had like a density meter so he could read your print that you made to tell. And then we had to shoot it on four by five Polaroid. 
So it was like, it was a very intense and at the time expensive assignment. I think like the year later, Polaroid stopped making four by five Polaroid. So it was thousands of dollars to shoot that assignment, but it really taught you like how to be in the studio, how to work with your lights, how to like flag things, how to kind of create, like just really work with light. Um, in hindsight now as a professional, I look back on those assignments and I'm really happy that I did them. But at the time I was just like, this is so lame. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I just want to go hang out with my friends and go to the beach. That's so awesome. Like, yeah, it was to do that. I'm sure it was cool. One of my favorite classes I actually took, and this was a class. It was called drips, drops, splashes, and pours. And it was a liquids class. And so all you, it was so fun. So all you did and some of it, I remember some of the references were a little cheesy and it was like the martini glass with like the liquid pouring out the side, but they taught you like, here's kind of the contraption you need to shoot that. They had this laser box with like a laser on it where you could adjust the flash duration so that you could get like the right amount of liquid coming out. We had, um, we had an assignment where you had to photograph every stage of a drop. So there's kind of like the drop goes in. That's like a step. There ripples come out. That's a step. And then there's like a moment called the crown when the drips, you know, come up the sides like this, like, and you had to have this sequence of all the drips, which was just such a fun, such a fun class to take. It makes sense that you have such a technical background. Cause I feel like your work is such a mix of lifestyle, loose and free. And then like, really technical beauty lighting and and framing and all of that stuff and that I feel like that just kind of made a lot of sense (laughs) I feel like the the saying was always like you know Brooks is a technical school and art center was a creative school so people went to art center to like be a creative photographer and make art and people went to Brooks to like learn the business and the technical things it's actually on my job this week I worked with someone new Um, I had an assistant who had to leave set and replace himself. And he had told the person coming in, he's like, Kat is a technical photographer. And that sort of piqued my ear. And he was basically saying, he's like, Kat knows what the lights are, how they work. If she needs to do something, she knows what to ask for instead of saying, you know, it's too bright. Mm -hmm. What can, you know, what can you do about it? I can be like, Hey, like I want a shadow coming here. Can you move this flag in this way? So the Brooks like foundation definitely comes through. But I think all of those things ultimately just help you make better photos. I like to, I like to not concentrate too much on the camera, the settings, like what the lights are at the end of the day, like it's kind of using all that knowledge to just make something that looks really cool. And it's not about like, Oh, well, you know, I think a myth that I remember in school it was like you needed to shoot your strobes had to be really high power. So you could have like high F stop and like everything needed to be really like controlled and clean and color correct. And it's like, we do work all the time where it's like, Oh, I want one source that's warm and one that's cool. Or I actually want to mix in some natural light with the strobe. And I think you have to remember sometimes to take your like really technical knowledge and sort of like mess it up a little bit and kind of be like, or like waste light. Even I feel like that was a big misconception that I had as a younger photographer, like you need to like set up lights and point them at things. And like, that's shooting. But now it's like you take the light and you point it over there to like make this pretty light that's happening here. And it took me a long time of just like playing and sort of 
figuring that out. I feel like sometimes less is more too. There's times where I feel really insecure about the fact that I only want to use just one light and that's it for the entire shoot. And then my assistants are there and they're like ready to set up everything. And I'm like, let's just do this one, like just one. Totally. I mean, so many times it is just one light and it's funny on set. And that I feel like that was something I learned along the way where I think one of my first like bigger jobs where there was like an agency involved and I was shooting a celebrity we were shooting on like a white psych and it was supposed to be just really simple and beautiful. And we were like testing lights. And I think we just like set up one photac and we were looking at it on the monitor. And I was like, I was like, that's perfect. Like it looks great. But then I was like, they can't just be here and we're just shooting one light. So I think we set up like a bunch of other things. Like, to make I it look had, bigger. Yeah, kind of. I feel like that's sometimes... I I feel the same way all the time because when it is a bigger job, it feels like, oh, I have to have all these things. So it feels extra for somebody. Totally. No, I think we had set up like a couple octavanks behind me and we had lots of D flats going around. And I think (laughs) he would fly in with like a little fill sometimes, but we knew that the octas weren't firing and like, or they weren't plugged in or something. Um, A lot of times clients reference my images too that I've maybe even shot on my own, like whether a model came to the studio by themselves, like with no hair, makeup or wardrobe. And I just use natural light or I took a road trip with someone and we just kind of ran around and the client's like, we love, you know, Pepsi, for example, would they be like, we love this. Can you just shoot this? And then I'm like, oh man, I shot that like with just us. And now we have to shoot it with 50 people watching us. And it's just that dynamic can be different. So it's when you're on those big jobs, you're trying to find a way to make that intimate magic happen while there's like 50 people watching and while you're tethered and there's a person standing under them with a fill and and things like that. I feel like I'm, I'm not answering the question though. For I think, I think that's awesome. I mean, I kind of, I wish I had an opportunity to do things like that. I ended up taking a studio lighting class at some point after I had been shooting for a while because I just needed the extra I just wanted to learn more but they never got that technical Um, yeah and I just wanted to know some of the technical stuff a little bit better I look back on it and I'm like I wish I had appreciated that time more I felt like I look back on being young and I think there's such a strength in like being young and breaking into the industry because you're kind of like making mistakes and you're just you're kind of like I'm just going to go shoot this. You're like, I just saw this amazing campaign and I want to like go shoot something like that. And you don't understand that that's like a professional model or like a, a really iconic location or how much lighting and support went into it. But you, you don't care. You just try to go do it anyway. Or if you're like, I want to work for this magazine and you just email them. And like, I think as you get older and you're in the industry more, you're kind of like a little more cautious. You want to just make a good impression. You want to show the right work. But I think when you're younger, I remember getting a lot of my first jobs by just cold emailing and kind of just being like, well, I'm just going to go for it and try. And like, maybe my work's not where I wish it was, but I'm going to show them the work that I have and just kind of hope for the best. And I think there's just this joy of being young and like knowing less. You can go and and make really great work and not worry about it too much. But the downfall, I, I just wish I had thought about or enjoyed or appreciated those classes a little bit more because I would love to take the drips class again and just shoot drips all the time. Maybe that should be your test shoot. <laughs> uh, my my friend Lauren and I, we do a lot of, we like to call ourselves like the water girls. Like we really love to go in the studio and like fill up the water tank and drop stuff in it. And we did 
test shoot where we wanted to pour milk, like white liquid. And we kind of had to do this weird mixture of milk and paint and it smelled terrible, but it like looked really cool. So I still try to have fun with that. You mentioned like breaking into photography and getting your first jobs. How did you, what was your journey like with that? After I assisted, I was kind of ready for like a corporate job. I was ready for some more like the comforts of a nine to five, you know, health insurance, going to the same place every day. So I worked in house for a brand for a couple of years doing e-com and like working on some of the lookbooks and product photography. And, you know, to be honest, like about a year and a half into that, like there were layoffs and I was one of the second rounds and I didn't totally see it coming. And it was like pretty devastating. Getting laid off is the worst feeling in the world. And I like wish that on no one. You just really feel like you just didn't do a good job. um, And you're just kind of like, you lose your purpose in that sense. But after I was laid off, it was like, should I try to find another job? Or is this my time to freelance? And one thing about Brooks that was not very fun is I had a lot of student loans when I graduated. Um, I didn't really you're not really eligible for a lot of scholarships for like a private art school. And my family, you know, my dad co-signed for my loans, but I didn't really have a lot of financial support in my loans after. So I think six months after graduation, I had to start paying student loans, which I was owed $120,000 after I graduated. And the monthly payments were $1,200 a month. Holy shit. Yeah. So it took me 11 years to pay them off. I finally paid them off in 2019, thankfully, right before the pandemic. But I always throughout my early career, I had like my student loans, like really hanging over my head. So after I was after I was laid off, I was kind of just like, you know, do I get another job? I was always scared to freelance because I just, I had this debt, you know, on top of all my other expenses that I had to pay. And, you know, I knew that freelancing would take a long time to get rolling, but now my husband, we weren't married at the time, but my husband was like, he was like, just do it. Like, it's going to be fine. I have savings if we need it. Um, The great thing about being laid off was that I had forbearance on my loan. So I think I had six months or a year where I could pause them and I didn't accrue interest, which was really just a lifesaver. So he was kind of like, well, just see what jobs you can pick up freelancing and then see if any openings come up and let's just see kind of what happens. And I had one friend who had a beauty client he was working with, but as he was working with them as a director and he said that they needed a stills photographer. And so that was kind of my first big job that I sort of produced, we shot at their, um, at their headquarters, but I took the money from that job. And I was like, I'm going to go to New York and show my book and do meetings and try to get something. And I went to New York, I did a lot of editorial meetings, and I met with someone at Refinery29 and showed my book. Um, I had set up all my meetings through either like referrals or cold emails, or I also actually had a syndication rep at the time, like a licensing company that I worked with. They set up a couple editorial meetings for me too, but um, I went to Refinery29, did my meeting. I was headed to my next meeting and she called me and she was like, I have a shoot in like two weeks that needs to be in LA and I need someone to shoot it, but also kind of help me produce. And so from those kind of two jobs, it slowly kind of started to roll. How many years after college was this roughly? Um, I graduated in 2008. Um, I assisted for five years. So I, I transitioned from assisting to working at that company 
in 2013. And then I think I was probably, or maybe 2012. So then I think I was laid off in 2013, 2014. So that was almost 10 years ago since I worked officially. I it's, always tell people who get laid off, it's sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. It totally it was. Like pushes you to do the things that you wouldn't have done before. Um, I felt like I had been pushed off a cliff and then somehow figured out how to like not hit the ground or not hit super hard. Um, it ended up being the complete blessing in disguise. It it did take a lot. It did take time to to kind of get my career going, but that was definitely the catalyst. I think I don't know what would have happened if I had not been laid off. I think in hindsight, I probably would have stayed employed and probably still wouldn't have paid off. I wouldn't have paid off my loan. How long was it from the time you got laid off to the time that you felt like okay? I'm going to be okay. Or maybe that was I mean, just like last year. I feel like never goes away. There's always a time where I'm just like, you know. Well, you got a re- you had a rep at some point in well, here. Yeah, I have a rep. I had a rep. So I think that I think I probably freelanced for about two years. I, mean, I was juggling, doing some editorial, having some small clients. You know, I did a few more projects with Refinery29 that were more like advertorial, where we did a project for like Secret Deodorant. We did a project for Ford. But I also supplemented that with some really boring things. You know, I had a friend who worked in-house at a shoe brand and they needed e-com photos. So I would go to their, I would go to their location, I would bring lights and I would set up in like an empty room and like shoot all the shoes. So I definitely had some projects in the mix that like weren't glamorous by any means, but like paid bills. So I was like, if I could shoot for them once a month, I was like, okay, this at least take cares of my takes care of my student loans, and I can focus on other things. So I had about two years of just doing that. And then while I had been assisting, a rep had reached out to me and was kind of like, are you, were you ever interested in having an agent? And I had never thought about it. I felt that I was kind of too young, but I went to meet with her and showed my work. And when we met, she was like, oh yeah, you're not ready. Like you're too young. Your work is awesome (laughs) and you're going places, but you're just not ready for me yet. And do you know what exactly made her say that? I'm not sure. I mean, in hindsight, I didn't, I hadn't really done a lot of big jobs. So I didn't have really any experience like being on set with a lot of large clients with big expectations, working with big production companies, working with ad agencies. I had never done a treatment. I'd never done calls with clients. I had never sort of sold myself and I had never run a big set, which are like things that I think about when, yeah, when I was starting out, I was just doing a lot of small projects that were just like a direct book. Yeah, so I, I'm not totally sure from her perspective, but I think she just got the sense that I had not been any, on any big shoots. Like if she had put me up for something, uh, you know, a, a large brand with a big agency and put me on a call, I would probably freeze, which she was totally right. I wasn't right. ready, but meeting with her really did inspire me to kind of like kick it into gear a little bit more and just try to be shooting more work, getting more placement with editorial working with better teams, like working with better hair, makeup, wardrobe, Mm -hmm. models, getting better locations. So a few years had obviously passed since I first first met with her. And I was two years into freelancing. And I felt that I had some good work to show, but obviously had a long ways to go. And I had reached back out to that same agent. And then I had reached out to another agency. It's a bit of a long story, but I ended up going with one of the agencies. I was there for about two years and my agent left and like very unexpectedly. um, It kind of happened over a weekend, a holiday weekend on Friday. She was like, I quit and I'm going to start my own agency and I'd like you to go with me. And I kind of was like, 
I, I have to think about this. And I ultimately stayed at the agency I was at. Oh. Um, but then I made a jump to another agency, which was the agent I had originally met with when I was assisting. And are you still there? I'm not there anymore. Okay. Um, I have switched agencies one more time and I'm now at our department, which was a change that happened right before COVID. So I was like officially accepted or brought on at our department February of 2020. Perfect timing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely wasn't great. I definitely had a lot of sleepless nights where I was like, I just transitioned to this agency who knew I was just like, what if they go out of business? I don't know. You just heard about so many crazy things happening at that time. Like in hindsight, that's so silly. Our department's a pretty big company. They have a lot of photographers working. Um, they, of course, did not go out of business. But I and I was just like, I'm one of the first people that just got brought on since COVID. I'm going to be the first one dropped. But thankfully, everything worked out. I'm really thrilled to be there. There's so many like amazing photographers wrapped by them. So I feel very like humbled to be in good company there. And they have a lot of great in-house resources. My agent has an in-house kind of producer that she works with that sort of facilitates like once a job is booked, she helps with me getting my crew, my equipment list. Like, you know, if I have any preferences on like the teams I want to work with, she gets everyone on hold and kind of passes all that info to our producer. So it kind of gets like the ball rolling without me having to, you know, it really helps me when I'm in the thick of work and can't get on a call with a new producer, we kind of get everything queued up and then hand it over. It's really awesome. You kind of grazed over it, but curious to know what was the, like your actual process breaking into specifically commercial photography? Because I know you said that you're the first agent said that you weren't ready. So what did you do to get ready and how did you break in? And how was that process? I mean, I can't pinpoint like specific things that I broke in. I think there's a lot of like practice on my end, like on the images I was taking and trying to elevate my work. Um, You know, I would barter with model agents a little bit and I'd be like, hey, I'll shoot the new face. I'll shoot a couple of new faces for you if you'll let me shoot this one face that I really want to work with. So I was always trying to kind of like elevate my work, um, you know, new locations, trying lighting. Um, working with different models and hair, makeup, wardrobe. Um, but I, otherwise, I felt like all those kind of things that I think that agent was looking for at the time, really, those things just come with experience and like having a job come to you and like making mistakes or like learning new things. And I feel like even now I'm, I'm still learning things and I still test too. I, I do try to do a lot of personal work, but um you know, I had that one big job with the celebrity and I had that experience of like working on set. So like that was one project. And then, you know, I had projects where some I didn't get because, you know, I had to work on like how I was on the phone. And one thing I'm so grateful for after COVID is now we do Zooms as creative calls, which I was explaining to someone and they had no idea what I was talking about, which also made me feel really old. But (laughs) I was like, before 2020, you would get on a creative call. You would dial yeah. into a 1-800 number. You would have no idea who was on the call. You would have yeah. no idea what their role was. You would have no idea who's speaking, how many people are there, what they're looking at, what people look like. And so when you show up to set, you have to like meet everyone for the first time and kind of assign like phases to names. And now over Zoom, it's so wonderful. You get to like, you know, who is who, you know, who clearly is like the point person on your project and who's kind of just there, like making sure everything's kind of happening. 
um, you're all looking at this, you're sharing, you're screen sharing. So you're all looking at the same creative deck instead of someone being like, oh, I don't have the right version of that. And they're like, let me send it to you. And is everyone on page 14? And, you know, Zoom <laughs> took a lot of that out, which I'm so grateful for, because I think those calls, like, I always felt so awkward and uncomfortable. You're just like, you're all talking over each other and then no one talks and you're all trying to make sure you're looking at the same thing. And I just wasn't that great on calls early on. So I think Zoom really helped it feel like you're actually meeting in person and sitting down at a table together rather than just talking about it over the phone. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I, I definitely, I'm sure that I lost a few jobs by just not, you know, like giving good phone basically. <laughs> so I had to learn, I had to learn the hard way by, hard way by losing a couple. Um, but I just, I wasn't experienced on the phone. You know, I started doing treatments and I look back at my first treatments and I can't even believe I submitted them, but you know, I, I tried to get better at treatments, you know, being more thoughtful with my writing, designing them a little bit better. Um, you know, I for my treatments, I tend to use mostly my own images, which I think has also been really helpful. But that was also something I had to kind of learn along the way. So I think just every project that comes in gives you a little something to take to the next thing. And I think a big thing today is everyone kind of just wants to jump from like, I decided I want to be a photographer to I want to like get on a huge job. I, I felt like for me, there are kind of so many steps in between so many steps, so many years, like and so many mistakes in between those two points that it's hard for me to advise like a young photographer these days, because I'm like, things are just so different. And like Instagram exists, you know, like Instagram wasn't a thing when I was out of college, you had to send cold emails, you had to meet in person. You wouldn't take an iPad to a meeting. You would take a printed book, you know, like the landscape is so different and you just kind of have to adapt. But then there's people who don't know anything else. So it's like they only are familiar with photography because of Instagram. And they think that your follower account might equate to like your level of expertise, which it doesn't. I mean, it, you know, obviously people are responding to the work you're putting out in your voice, but that doesn't mean that you can go in and like uh, convince a client about your idea on the phone or understand, you know, if you have to go to the, if, if you're a photographer that shoots a lot of sun, but you go to Malibu for a campaign and it's cloudy, you know, what are you going to do? Like, I think those kind of experiences you just need in your back pocket to sort of know how to pivot to keep those big clients coming back to you. Yeah. We actually had um, someone write in recently He's been talking with an agent, I think more in like a temp capacity. And one of the things, and he comes from a set background. So he's been working as an assistant and then he recently started working as a digitech. So he's been crewed up on set for a long time and he wants to jump off and start doing his own thing. And so he started immediately talking with an agent, it seems like. And one of the things that they're talking about is him finding his voice and he was asking for advice about that. And I'm curious what you have to say about that, because like, to me, I think it's impossible to find your voice without like years of trial and error and shooting as much as you can and, and testing. And I don't think it's something that you can really put like a, like a time, like an ETA on, right? I don't think so. And I think the truth is that your voice also changes, you know, yeah. throughout your career, like, I really started my career shooting mostly outside, shooting a lot of natural light. And since then, I probably do more studio projects these days than I do location projects. I always keep 
the feeling of being outside as like an essence to my voice, but that doesn't always mean that it's literally outside. You know, I had a voice when I was younger, you know, my agent and I actually, we look back at some of my jobs and she's like, that's like old you. Like we're like, that's not the version that like clients are looking at right now. Like your, your voice evolves, your work evolves. And I think you just own the work you're making at the time. You're like, this is my voice. These are the things I like, you know, these are the colors and the lighting and the mood and the feeling. And this is how I'm directing talent. And this is the type of talent that I'm like looking for when I shoot, you know, I'm looking for things that are really like heavily styled or so casually styled that I just have talent bring their own pieces to shoot it. You know, it's like, I feel like you kind of just have to have this confidence and sometimes maybe that's false confidence in like what you're doing and just be like, you know what, like, this is the thing and I'm just going to keep doing it. And you might have a project where you're like, oh man, I met this like great stylist and now I suddenly want to style things. And that changes your work too. And going forward now you're like, oh, like when I look for a stylist, these are the types of things I'm looking for in their work that they can bring to me. But I'm always, I feel like the answer to all photographer woes is always like just going and creating work. If you're like burnt out, go create work that you're excited about. Like if you are if you're slow and you feel like you're not getting any clients or you're not getting the type of clients that you like, then like go create work to show that or go create work to give your agent something to show or go create work to go get an agent. Like I think the bottom line is always just to create work. Even if you're not creating work for any other reason, you're creating work to learn something for yourself, whether you're like trying new lighting, you've made a background and you want to see like how well it shot you saw a reference and you want to like figure out how to recreate it. You know, it's like, I want to work with water for the first time. What's that like? And so you're like, I'm going to get a model and I'm going to get a watering can. I'm going to pour water over their head and like, (laughs) see how that looks. And so it's like, for me, when I'm testing, I'm always accomplishing one of those goals, whether it's filling a space in my portfolio that's not filled, working with a model that I've always wanted to work with who happens to be in town You know, if I'm like, I start, I, I've been in the studio too much and I really want to be outside. Like I'm going to go to shoot a test out in an open field somewhere. Um, But, but going back to like finding your voice, I just think you kind of always are, and you should just embrace the voice you have at the moment. Even if you imagine your voice changing in the future, that's like totally okay. And I don't think anyone's going to really hold you accountable for that. And you can get tired of shooting something too. You can be like, my voice is shooting cars and you like might get car jobs but then you might start getting just other lifestyle jobs that don't have cars and then your voice changes and you don't shoot cars anymore and that's like also totally okay you can like unbecome a car person and you can move into something else or you can shoot models and then I think you can kind of do some still life and you could potentially become only a still life person that's one of the great things about I feel like our industry is you can just kind of pivot in any way. And I think clients really appreciate it or an agent or anyone really when you're just like honest about the voice that you have. And if you're like, I know I've never done still life before, but I'm really into it now. And so here's some work that I did. And I think people are just stoked about that. I mean, I guess that brings a good segue. We were going to ask you how much of your photography career you think is in the studio versus doing business things. But it you sort of just said, if you don't have work, you're out shooting to yeah. get more work. So that's 
I mean, I'm trying to think of business things. Like I think very early on, I identified that I did not want to do taxes. I never want to own QuickBooks <laughs> and I am not good at math. So I've had the same CPA for probably 10 years or longer. Um, I hired a bookkeeper right before COVID or maybe even a year before because I did these, which was another byproduct of Brooks. We used to have what they called like comp binders for the end of your session. And each teacher was different in what you had to present, but you had to present this like four inch binder that was incredibly organized. Like your mats couldn't have crosshair cuts in them or they would reject your binder. I had this crazy tax (laughs) binder. (laughs) I had this crazy tax binder of all my receipts and it was categorized and it took me a long time to make and I never got audited, knock on wood. So the IRS never saw it, but I <laughs> I got tired of making those and I hired a bookkeeper. So I've just outsourced the majority of that work. I'm just, I'm not good at it. So I have a tax, I have a CPA, I have a bookkeeper. And then I'm trying to think of other business things. Like I mean, marketing or... I mean, even like treatmenting, like you're sitting at your desk, you're, you know, you're on Zoom call. Like, I feel like that's all admin type stuff that a lot of people don't realize goes into the other side when you're not on set. Well, I did two things in the last year that I actually thought were really helpful for like my brain is I really try super hard to do all my Zoom meetings in the morning and like not after 12 p.m., Like I try to, if there's ever, you know, a lot of times my agent will be like, what time do you want to do this call? And I'm like, 7am is fine. 8am is fine. Like wake up in the morning, get all the calls done so that I have the rest of the day to do work. I think like the anxiety of having like a 4pm Zoom meeting is just like too much and it like destroys the rest of my, or the beginning of my day. I am going to incorporate this into my life. Yeah. That's such I mean, good, that's a really good approach. Sometimes you can't do it. Sometimes they're like, Hey, the only time the client can do is like three and you're like, okay, that's fine. But if I ever have a preference, I'm like, stack me up, give me five zoom meetings, like back to back 8am to 12pm. Like, let's go. And I'm like, I have my setup. I'm taking notes. I'm in like the mental space of like doing meetings. And it's great because, you know, being in LA, you know, their day is kind of done. But if I have all the info I need, I can still keep working. So I can be like, okay, now that I know I need to look up studios, I need to ask these people to hold, I need to kind of like get this research done. So I can actually do things versus if you do a call at three to 5 p.m., the day is kind of spent. So it's like any emails you send out, you're not even going to get onto the next day. So I think kind of trying to put things at the beginning of the day has been really helpful. But one other thing I'm so grateful with our department is that they just take a lot of that load from me too. They handle a lot of billing and invoicing. Um, In terms of marketing, I think I've changed a lot of my thoughts about it since COVID happened. I think early in my career, I would fly to New York. I would, I did have a printed book, which I did really love. And I think clients, you know, and agencies love to see printed, you know, everyone's looking at their screen so much, but you know, a printed book is beautiful. And then having an iPad can be helpful. I think my selling point for the iPad was always like, I made this selection of images specifically for you to see, or like, I just shot this shoot last week, and I really wanted you to see it. So I think that's always my selling point with taking an iPad with me. But I haven't really done any marketing in terms of like emailers or promo pieces um, in a very long time. I feel like a promo piece is a little bit wasteful. I feel like, especially with COVID, everyone's working from home. So it's like, are you going to email this person you don't know to ask for their home address? Like probably (laughs) not. 
Um, <laughs> I think email is probably most most efficient and most conscious. I just always want to be conscious of people's time and like showing them things that are relevant to them. You know, I would want to show an art director who mostly works on a beauty on beauty campaigns, only beauty work instead of kind of being like, here's an overview for you to sort through. Um, so I've always just tried to be really mindful of like what I'm emailing people about or showing them. But generally I just, I'm not very good at it, but I try to keep my Instagram active. I try to like always be sharing the new work that I'm creating and kind of just nurturing more relationships. And especially in person, you know, when I go to New York, I'll try to hit people up and get a coffee um, and just really talk about projects that are going on instead of making it this more like either official meeting um, at their office or kind of mailing promos out. I um, would love to talk more about testing because you've already touched on it a little bit. And I feel like for the longest time, I mean, I just wasn't at a point where I was testing. And then I finally got to this point where I was testing with just friends, um, very low budget. And now throwing more money at it. So I just kind of wanted to hear about how you approach your testing. What do you feel like you get out of it? How often it sounds like you're doing it all the time. And then what your testing looked like, you know, in 2015 versus what does it look like now? And what kind of budgets you're allotting to us? I was talking to another photographer and she was talking about a test she did. And I mean, I think she threw like $30,000 at it. And I was like, I just didn't, I did. I was like, I, felt like I had come so far, but I'm not that far. <laughs> I have not done a test shoot with a budget like that. I honestly think my test shoots these days don't look a lot different from the tests that I was doing when I was younger. Um, I always had a very scrappy approach with a test shoot. I would only bring on the team that I thought I really needed. Um, I would, you know, get models. I've always worked with modeling agencies. I did shoot a lot of friends when I was in school, but after leaving school and, you know, I met other like a wardrobe assistant when I assisted and I'd be like, let's do a test shoot. So I was kind of slowly building these connections and I did make connections at modeling agencies very early. I will say I didn't, you know, they would always just give me a new face. I would certainly never get a really amazing model, but I would just be like, you know what, that's fine. I'll get, if I get one to two good images out of this test, then it was worth it. Right. And so I don't, I just always would put kind of mood boards together, kind of like decide visually what I felt like was missing in my work. You know, if I'm like, I really want to shoot some blue sky, I would kind of put some mood boards together and an idea. And I would sort of look for the talent first, or, you know, sometimes I have a wardrobe stylist friend who's like, Hey, I have this big job. I'm going to have some extra cool clothes. I know we're not going to use like, let's shoot next Friday. And then I'll, and then I'll, I'll build the, the idea around that. And I, I just try to have this like very loose and open approach with it. You know, I try to bring on the team that I think I need, but not overstack it. I mean, I don't really budget for tests. I just kind of, I'm like, Hey, I know I'm going to have to like get some food to feed everybody. And that's always kind of been the extent. I mean, sometimes I rent certain equipment. If I'm like, Oh, I really want to test this new light. I've never used it before. Um, that'll be something that I spend money on, but generally everyone's just kind of coming together to create something cool. And, um, I, I do have a goal for this year to put a little bit more money into my test shoots, but more in a location sense. I feel like there's some locations that I've shot at before with clients that I would love to do a test shoot. I just shot at the right ranch in Malibu for the first time. It's like an unfinished concrete home that's on, it's like basically at the top of a mountain in Malibu. It's beautiful. Um, it's very cool. And it would be cool to just like 
rent the location, but just run around and like shoot something fun. I think they, you know, of course people go there with motorhomes and big crews and stuff, but I think you can rent it um, for other shoots or I've never shot at the Philip Dixon house in Venice, the white Moroccan. Yes. <laughs> I, I really want to shoot there. So I'm like, maybe I need to come up with the budget to support and the concept to support doing tests like that this year. So that's definitely on my list, but going back to just like, you know, creating work. I just, I love doing test shoots. It's also an opportunity to get friends together and just kind of hang out and have like an easy day and not have a create, you know, not have a creative deck that you're being held to or not have a client being like, Hey, we got to get 10 more shots in today. Um, we can just get together, have fun, create something cool. Most of the time, nine times out of 10, I can always get a handful of great images from it. I'm sure there's once in a while where you're just like, Oh, like, I'm not loving it. It wasn't what I pictured, but that's also okay. I still learned something from doing it. I know you don't focus specifically on portraiture, but I feel like it's such a base for all of your images. And it all just feels so different. Even beauty photography, which I feel like a lot of times I'm looking at a beauty photographer's work and it's just like more or less the same image over and over just with different models. But I feel like all of your images just feel so different and unique. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering how you approach each of those jobs or sessions or tests to get that kind of different feel. I mean, beauty is so interesting. I always tell models when they sit down and I'm kind of like, you know, have you shot beauty before? And if they say I haven't, I'm like, okay, well, beauty is awesome. But beauty is using, you know, only 25% of your body. So it's like, you're seeing this such a small amount, which is like, awesome, because you don't have to worry about like what your feet are doing. But then you kind of have to think about everything else. I'm kind of like, you know, you can move, you can change the direction of your face, you can add a hand, you can add two hands, you can look this way, you can have a different expression, you can like, try different little head tilts, like there's so many areas of this one part of your body you can change to make an image Mm -hmm. like completely different. And I feel that way about all the visual elements too. It's like your lighting, you can do so many interesting things with lighting when you're shooting beauty backgrounds just read totally differently when you're shooting beauty, which can be like a blessing and a curse. You know, it's like you can have like the smallest background and it can look amazing or you can, you're trying to tell like a story and it's really hard to get that story in like such a small frame. Um, So I feel like beauty just always has really interesting challenges that can be like sometimes technical, but a lot of times just creative and you're like, I'm either trying to make a really simple image that's really striking or I'm trying to tell the story of this brand that's sustainable and based here and it feels like this and like we're getting this expression and we're seeing this wardrobe that tells you where it is and you're trying to like beautifully get all these things into one frame which can also be really hard um Mm -hmm. and then just the model I mean having your talent there's such obviously an important part of the frame so it's like you know it sounds a little bit cheesy but it's just kind of like getting to know them and like what their personality is and seeing like you know, are they like someone who's a little bit more cool and slouchy and like that's kind of part of what those images look like? Or are they definitely more little, are a little bit more poised and delicate and like they can do beautiful things with their hands. And it's just kind of like every person's a little different. So to me, each shoot always has something that makes it feel not like the others. That's really good advice. I feel like the answer must be no, but do you ever hit creative ruts I was like I don't know if we need to ask that because she's just spewing all of this amazing like inspiring things and like she must never no I totally do I mean I think I had all last week I was on two different beauty clients 
and I was shooting models for two days and then still life and then models for another day and still life. And I think even though all those days were very different, I kind of was just, I was at Smashbox like every day. And I was just like, I've been like shooting beauty every day at this one place. I need like a break. And I Mm. think sometimes when you're just surrounding yourself with a lot of the same imagery, the same goals, it can be just kind of, you're kind of just like, all right, I need, I need to shake it up a little bit. So I, for me, a rut is totally common. And I think, again, unfortunately, the, the antidote is always just like creating work. But now, right now I'm focusing on going outside, running around, no lights, you know, full body. It's just kind of like, putting myself in the opposite headspace to kind of just dig me out and then I'll be outside too much. And I'll be like, now I want to go in the studio and like get really mm-hmm. small again. So I always just try to pick something completely different to just kind of shake up my brain a little bit or just not shoot for a minute at all. I think all of next week, I'm going to try to just like go to the chiropractor, go to the spa, like get some sleep, like kind of just do those like sort of cheesy sounding self care things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do my laundry, <laughs> clean the house just to kind of feel like I'm prepared for the next thing. Um, actually cleaning my car is one thing that really gets me like feeling like my life is together. <laughs> you know, like it's full of gas, it's cleaned on the outside and the inside. I took all my crap out of the back and I'm like, okay, I'm like ready to go to the next job. My life is now back together again. I feel like you are always shooting all the time. I mean, I know you were saying this year has also just been really busy, but because you have so many different set experiences, could you tell us about the hardest job you've ever done? I'd have to think for a moment about the hardest one. I can think of my first big like shoot faux pas. So I did. Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell us about it. <laughs> I, I did an editorial for a magazine a long time ago. It was the classic. We had to shoot swim in the winter and the editor and I decided that we wanted to go to hot springs to do this shoot. And this was my faux pas was that I did not scout first. That's like my big recommendation. If you're trying a new place, you really should go see it and understand the logistics before you go. We shot in January. We drove up to these hot springs near Big Bear. I had not been there. And Google Maps told us to go the wrong direction. We like were driving on like a dirt road on the side of a cliff that like we probably shouldn't have been driving on. We were like very late to even get started. And then the hot springs were at the bottom of a reverse hike. Oh gosh. Like, no one knows what no. that is. It's when you hike downhill first and you and then obviously you have to hike back up. So we finally figure out how to get to the trail to get to these hot springs. We realize it's a reverse hike. We finally make it down to these hot springs and you had to cross this river to get to the hot springs. And this is in January. So the river is all snow water. So it's freezing cold. The editor who's also doing, or the fashion editor, she was also doing the wardrobe. So she had like a luggage that she's bringing on this hike. (laughs) We had our model and then I brought an assistant and we get to this river and the model's like, I'm not crossing the river. It's too cold. Like I'm not doing it. After all of this, like I think we got up at like three o'clock in the morning. I picked the model up from her house. Like we drove to Big Bear. We got lost. We finally get there. We hike down. We get to the river and she's like, I'm just not doing it. It's too cold. Somehow we convinced her to do it. (laughs) We... 
did like, the shoot. I carried her on my back across. Something the to I something to that effect. Actually, no. She we did get a little video. She just like ran across and like ended up having fun with it and just embraced it. But it took some serious convincing. I my assistant carried my camera over his head, like my backpack over his head, like this. We crossed this river. By this time, it's like, you know, 2 p.m. or something. We do the whole editorial shoot in like an hour. We did like six looks or something because we had to hike out. And it was this reverse hike. We were just dying. We just wanted to make sure we got to the car before it was dark. We were all dead. It was just, it was the, everything went wrong. Um, (laughs) Well, how did the images come out though? The images came out, they came out good. I also just... I think it was cloudy and I just like didn't love the light. And this is me looking back on it now. But I think at the time I was just like, oh, my God, we did it. And it like went to print. But I think looking back now, I did have some just like, oh, I wish I had like not been so affected by all these circumstances and tried to switch brains and just get into my creative brain where I'm trying to make good work. I think one thing that I still struggle with is letting a lot of outside factors affect while I'm working. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if there's a lot of chatter about something going on with the next day's location, or you're hearing that the lighting was really hard to set up or the studio is being difficult, giving you something you need or whatever, you kind of have to like step out of that and like step into like, I'm just taking pictures. And right now the goal is to take the best pictures possible. So I think when I looked back at those photos, I was like, I got some great shots, but I could have gotten better ones if I had forgotten about all those things that happened and remembered that we're finally across the river and all we have to do is shoot. But I think those are things that still happen to me even today. So, Oh my gosh. That honestly sounds really similar to my very first backpacking trip and when I moved to California. It was the same thing. It was like looking for hot springs, crossing a cold ass river, leaving too late, hiking in the dark and the rain. I mean, it was, but there was no pressure of delivering work at the end of that. I think, again, thankfully, I was so young in my career that everyone only held me so accountable. It was almost, uh-huh. they were like, they were like, we sort of knew that this could go this way. Um, I feel really fortunate that like, you know, I learned my lesson, let's say I always got a location before I go. Well, on the flip side, what's the best job you've ever had? Oh my gosh. Um, I had a creative director that I'd worked with before and she left the company I'd met her at and she went to a new company and we had done a few shoots together. It was a shoe company. Um, we did some really awesome shoots together. She was an amazing, is amazing creative director. And one day she was like, we, our next launch is for a sandal. And she was like, I want to go to Europe. And she was like, where do you want to go? And I was like, wow. uh, <laughs> I was like, I have always wanted to shoot at the Morala Roja, which is that Spanish apart. It's an apartment complex in Spain. Oh, with the colors and the stairs. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I was like, I've always wanted to shoot here. And she was like, okay, let's do it. And so we did. and it was really cool we went with a small team it was the creative director producer myself um, a director who was shooting motion and then I brought my assistant with me we went all the way to Spain we only shot for one day we had all worked together a few times and we were like well we're already all the way over here let's do something else and so we all went to Morocco after (gasps) for a couple of days so we did sounds amazing so we had I think we were only there for three days, but we stayed in Marrakesh 
I had never been, um, the producer had been before. And so she had some great recommendations and we went in April. It wasn't the best time of year to be there, but if you've ever been, you know, that it's just, doesn't matter when you're there. It's pretty amazing and special. So I got beautiful images at a place I'd always wanted to shoot at. And then I got to like add a little bucket list trip after. So so I don't think it gets much better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think that's the, that's the best it can be. There's a really cool shot the director did at the end of our shoot day with, he had a drone operator on the shoot too, because to see that building from that angle is just really cool. There's the pool that they have is in the shape of a cross. It's like very Romeo and Juliet looking. And so he did this really cool drone shot of all of us at the end of the shoot, which was really fun. So that was a pretty dreamy project. I think that's, it just doesn't really get travel in there. That's awesome. Amazing. Travel and a team. I mean, travel with a team and and good people. Totally. I do think there is a misconception about travel in our industry, though, where they're like, oh, but you just get to fly around all the time and like take photos. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, you're kind of just being like, I'm just working. And then I also have to fly to get to work. Like, (laughs) and then and handle all the logistics. Yeah. Like, you know, you're flying, you're maybe you're flying from another job, even like you're going from set to set. You have to be fresh and ready to go the next morning, especially if you're doing long travel. It's like the jet lag. You might not have packed right for the weather. So you don't have your things or your bag got lost. You know, you go to like a different country and something isn't the way you thought it was. Um, I did a project in Lima actually right before the pandemic. And one of the the local assistants we worked with, he's the only person in Peru that has pro photo. So like, whoa. So when we went to his house, it, we went inside and it just kind of looked like a showroom. It was this very funny moment, but I don't like the power is different there too. So it's like, you're kind of trying to do math to be like, okay, this version of this can work with this. And this is the output we can get. So it's like travel can be totally beautiful and amazing and dreamy and everything that people think it is. And it can also be totally crazy. That Lima trip, I came back March 13th, 2020. Like I came back like a couple days before lockdown. And I remember when we were there, we were there for a week and my assistant was supposed to stay longer to work with this client on some other projects that they were doing in house. And I remember being in the the cab and um, I was just like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like that they'd lock down the country. Like that's crazy. And that's exactly (laughs) what happened. Like I left on Saturday the 13th and everything was totally fine and I had no problem getting out. And on Sunday the 14th, our client called my assistant and was like, get out now. There's a car coming for you in 10 minutes. Like go to the airport. And he got to the airport and they closed the doors while he was in there. And I I swear he got the last one of the last flights out of the country. Yeah. So travel can be you can go to Spain and you can go to Marrakesh and then you can get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be both. My sister had the same exact thing. They actually were going to go to Japan during that time. And then they changed their trip because they're like, it's probably not a good place to go. So they went to Portugal and then they, that's when like us shut down and she's like, I have to cut my vacation short and come back. Yeah. Um, the only plane that's available. I think everything that happened that month was just probably for for everyone in the industry was just worst case scenario things. Like I know there were a lot of shows that were filming out of the country that, you know, they have to get a whole massive team of people home. You know, some people did get stuck and they had to be there for months. I think I feel very, I feel a lot of relief that to a certain extent, COVID isn't affecting our sets anymore. I took on a lot of, I, I took on a lot of stress of like the health of my crew 
and testing and making sure that everyone was safe, but then making sure they were compensated for any of their time or just making sure that I wasn't putting them at any risk and having to have difficult conversations with people about being vaccinated wasn't very fun either. So I'm just really happy that um, we don't have to do this. Oh, I know. My biggest stressor during the entire pandemic was testing positive right before like a big shoot. Like I remember I had a big campaign last, was it last? I think it was last January and two and a half weeks before that started, I got COVID and I, and I, my last test, I took the latest test I could possibly take for this production. I did one two days before and I was still testing positive and I was like, what the what am I going to do? Yeah. What did you do? I tested negative. I drank so much broth and vitamins and That's like awesome. my husband has a lot of stuff that I was just, I was like pounding everything. I was like, get it out. Get I did the out. same. So this happened to me recently. I finally got COVID in February after three years. I had not, oh, I had never wow. had it before. And I had, I had a big job and I had a smaller job that I was really excited about that I couldn't do. Because I tested, I tested positive. It was kind of like everything that I was afraid of sort of happened. Just like you have work, it's right before. And there's an absolute panic about like how to get everything figured out. One of the clients brought on another photographer that they had worked with and they wanted to keep some of my crew, but not the other part of the crew and like the logistics of that. And then I had another project where my agent brought on another photographer on the roster to to take my place and the job went really smoothly and everything was fine. But then I had another job right after that, that I had to make sure I tested negative for. And it was kind of like you where you're just like right up into that last moment. And you're like, you know, my agent was like, when do you think you'll test negative? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone is so different. My husband, it took him 10 days and yeah. I was watching the line and I was like, it's not getting any lighter. Like, what am I going to do? And then yeah. the next day it was just gone. Yeah. And I was, Ugh. I was pounding juices too. I was like, I'm just going to flush my whole body. <laughs> and I don't think that's how it works, but right. <laughs> I made it to the next job. So I oh. am going to try to keep doing most of the things that you're supposed to be doing. Cause I just didn't want to go through that experience anymore. I was thankfully not a lot of people are like this. I had COVID and obviously was totally fine. It was just a no, the stress was almost worse than, than COVID itself. Oh yeah, the repercussions of having COVID. It's funny that you're like it's be- it's past us, but I have a shoot next week, and my assistant's wife tested positive, and so he's like, maybe it's just a matter of time before he will. But we'll see yeah. what happens. <laughs> well, I was last summer. I was really busy then too, and my husband got it, and I was just like, I don't. I'm just. I was like, I'm gonna get it. You're gonna have to replace me on all these jobs, and I like never got it. Yeah. Um, oh wow. So- happened us too. And then when I recently had it, my husband didn't get it. So I don't know how that magic works, but I've had those experiences. So (laughs) I'm sure it's not behind us. It's definitely still around. But thankfully, some of those measures are just less. And a lot more manageable now. Yeah, much more manageable. (laughs) We were inspired by a photo editor and wanted to ask you what your best and worst paying jobs are were. Or were and Uh, and the experience with each each of them. I will say that my best paying projects have been pharma projects in that space. I'm trying to think of worst paying projects because I think I think for a worst paying project, I don't even think of a dollar amount. I also think of a dollar amount in relation to like how hard creatively the job was Mm -hmm. or 
how poorly produced it was and how hard it was to like create the work. I'd have to think about that one. Um, the editorial with the hot spring was the first terrible thing that came to mind. Um, You're I'm, like, I, I mean, had to do all that and I only got paid $200 for the day. Or something. Well, Ren, we actually messaged about this. I have never been paid for editorial ever, <gasps> ever, ever. No, I didn't know that was I like was shocked. So when I, what was every, like, okay, well, what is like the biggest editorial thing that you've done without being or like what's like the budget what, like what budget are you working with and does that entire budget just go to hiring people uh, everyone aside from yourself um some of the editorial budgets I've had for even like a cover shoot or a fashion spread I can think of one magazine who was like we have eight hundred dollars for this shoot and like you're not paying people you're paying for food you're paying for location you're paying for the oh. wardrobe stylist to like ship things like no one is getting paid what? Everyone is coming. Yeah, that's why I'm like, but I know a lot of people who have these experiences. Maybe this is more I of mean, a I fashion know. editorial. Fashion, well, so yeah. fashion, I feel like apostrophe had said, you know, because I was complaining about a cookbook or something like that. And she was saying all the a lot of the photographers, when they do the cover shoots, they're actually coming out of pocket to like, yeah, do I have always come. Do. I have always come out of pocket um, financially. And I have always put more creative energy into those shoots than I have on other shoots, but I have never been actually paid a creative fee as a photographer that I got to pocket for an editorial. They're always kind of like, here's the budget, you do it, give us receipts. But if you are giving us an invoice for your time, that's fine too. Kind of just like you make it work with this amount and okay. how you do that is wow. up to you. Okay. Um, but I have always gone out of pocket just because I'm like, I want to shoot at this cool Airbnb and it's $1,200. That already blows my whole budget. And then I still have to pay for wardrobe shipping, catering. like. So it's not necessarily know, that you didn't get paid. It's that you chose to use your budget in a different way. I mean, I guess you could say it that way. But to me, <laughs> to me, it's if you're getting a sum of money to right, just make the enough, shoot happen. Right, right. Um, I mean, I could never ask people to come together for an editorial and then Venmo me for their lunch. Right. So <laughs> um, right. <laughs> that's just my experience. I haven't been focusing on editorial in the last couple of years. So I don't know, I'm sure different magazines, every magazine is different. I'm sure that the landscape for that has changed quite a bit too. I'd be very curious to know if people are still getting paid for editorial since editorial seems to generally be having a tough time in the last five to 10 years. I feel like it depends on who it is. I think sometimes there is Yeah, budget. I feel like for food editorials, there's usually, they usually have, like I'm thinking about a, uh, a magazine, for example, I'm not going to say the name of them, but they used to come to me and they had, it was the same thing. They're like, we have a $3,000 budget. And so of that, like you need to allocate 500 to a Digitech. And I think at the time it was like 350 to an assistant and then your rate and then whatever else, like equipment, equipment. and yeah. stuff mm -hmm. like that. So then you, and it was a two day shoot or whatever. So you kind of had to break it down. And I think I ended up walking away with like 750 or 800 mm. or something like that. We just did interview somebody who shoots a lot of editorial and mm -hmm. he did say there was some budget. So, so then that might just be my exposure, my personal experience. I, I now that you're mentioning that, Ren, I do think I can think of a magazine that I've shot for before that I don't consider a magazine because it's like such a top shelf, like everyone mm -hmm. would know the name. 
that did have a proper budget, but we, we also went to their own studios right. and shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. but I kind of, maybe I just think of magazine as like just a, you know, a fashion magazine or yeah. something like more of an indie magazine than kind of like mm-hmm. a, I'm, I'd imagine like Bon Appetit probably has their own studios or shoot spaces you could potentially shoot in or something um, because right. they're owned by Condé Nast. So there might be more right. services offered that they don't have to cover budget for so they can give you money um, as a fee. Mm-hmm. Well, on the on the other side, with working with some of your biggest budgets, what has that production and pre-production look like? Because you mentioned that the low paying jobs are the ones that end up being super stressful, really difficult, like shave years off your life. I'm just curious what the flip side looks like, because I remember thinking that the bigger the budget, the easier it's going to be because it's going to you're going to have all the hands. And then I was just like, oh, it's just the same problems at a much larger scale. (laughs) I think to me, the things that can really and I was just thinking about this as we've been talking about other things, the things that can make a shoot the worst shoot are kind of things that you can't control you know, just because the budget is bigger, it is the same problems. And it kind of means bigger budget, bigger expectations. Um, So you can have, you know, I've been on shoots where you're just like, the food is terrible. And it's a long, it's like you're working for four days. And so it feels physically hard to stay sustained when you have a call time at 6am. So there's no coffee in the area that you're in. The lunch is really terrible. So you feel like you're not eating a lot and you don't have a lot of energy. And then maybe you're staying in a hotel that's not super nice and you're not sleeping very well. And so those things can make just doing your job a little bit harder than normal, but you could have a really big job that is shooting, you know, in Malibu and it's cloudy all day. And like, it's in February when the client thinks that they're coming to LA for an LA shoot and it should be gorgeous and beautiful, but it's not. And there's just nothing you can do about it. And those can feel like some of the worst shoots where there's something that's out of your control that's really simple that you just can't change. Yeah, I mean, I think of a lot of the worst shoots, you know, really as like weather related or um, maybe just like a missed expectation of like, yeah, like you, you're going to this house and you're shooting at this place, but it's looking smaller than you thought or you're trying to go to this backyard and it looked gorgeous in the photos, but then you go and the homeowner has cut all the bushes back and there's like, (laughs) there's like nothing in the yard, you know, like all these like kind of almost silly things that are out of your control that you just have to figure out ways to work around. And I mean, some of the really nice things that come with bigger productions is just like more hands on set. You can have more equipment so you can like do more things you probably have really great lunches, you get coffees throughout the day. So you feel like you're coming to set and you feel ready to go, but you're still dealing with some of the same problems. You might have a model who this is still their first shoot, even though you're shooting for, you know, Target, for example, it's a big production. It's going to go in the store, but this is the model's first shoot. And so you have to like talk them through and like make them somehow feel comfortable, even though there's like 50 people behind you and they're standing on steel deck and everyone is looking (laughs) at them. Like, you know, that's still like a problem that you could face at any type of budget. But I definitely do think of just personally, some of my worst things as like, um, it's just hard to like rally sometimes when you're like, I didn't sleep well. I haven't had caffeine and the lunch is like bagels or something. And you're just like, Oh my God. (laughs) If I show up, it's notoriously like if I'm on a, production that's run by a film producer and I show up on set and there's bagels I 
internally lose my mind. I had an experience like this recently where I was on a shoot that was run by a film producer, but there was motion and stills and they hired a caterer, but the caterer had this massive bowl, like deep of hard boiled eggs. And I was like, I was like, there's gotta be 30 people max on this shoot. It was like not a big shoot. And I was like, each person on set would have to eat like two of these hard boiled eggs to even get close to finishing this bowl. <laughs> I was just like, so yes, I think it's it's typically like film sets that don't always have um, the best catering. But I, I don't want it to seem like we're, I only think about the food I'm going to eat on set. There are so many other factors yeah. that can go into making a shoot. Right. No, but bad, it's so but... important because you need to function for mm-hmm. so long. It's not like you're just doing a nine to five where maybe you're doing like six hours of really concentrated work and then there's meetings and there's a lunch break or whatever. But you're, you're once you're on, you're like on, you're on. for 10 hours, mm-hmm. sometimes 12, sometimes more. And that's so taxing that you really need those comforts to keep going. Yeah, the the project I was on this week, I brought on an AD and I couldn't have done the job without him, the two of us. Like it was a big job, it was a lot of shots and like every shot had a lot of different products, talents, scenes, propping, like all these things. And one of the days I checked in with him to just see how he was doing and he shared with me that he had like a military background. And oh, wow. he was saying he was like part of my years ago, but he was like part of my training was, you know, they come in, they wake you up at 2 a.m. And they're they're training you to basically make decisions or function in a situation that you would normally not be functioning in. And you have to function at a high level. And it made me think about being on set where you're just like, I've been on set and I'm on 12, 14 hours a day for four days in a row. And I have to keep the same amount of like enthusiasm and creative thinking that I had in the morning of day one, all the way to the end of day of day four. (laughs) And I felt appreciative of his training because his energy really kept me going. And he was always thinking um, about the next shot and like juggling the list. And I remember the first time I had ever worked with an AD, I had a client bring one on when I was on a project that there was a videographer, but it wasn't a serious motion shoot. And I was so annoyed. I was like, why is this person telling me where to go, what to do, like (laughs) bothering me? Like, why are they telling me what time things need to be done? Like, I know, I know what I'm doing. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to think about any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah. I love ADs. And they're like, do ADs you want to- the best. They're the best. And they're like, do you want to schedule? And I was like, no, that's like what you have to tell me. I'm like, you just <laughs> tell me where I need to be, what I need to be, what I, where, where I need to be, what I need to be doing right before I have to do it. And I just get to think about being creative, which I think that's such a huge perk when you're further along in your career that you can get the support from production, from your agent, from your team, so that you can just think about being creative and you don't have to think about like, did the equipment company give us every C-stand I asked for? Are we like, how long are we going to be at this location? And are we good with our permit? Like what's happening next in the schedule? Like you try to surround yourself with people who are better at those things than you are so that you can just think about being creative and you try to form a little community around yourself. So you know, that AD I worked with, I'd worked with him before. So he already came into it being like, I know exactly how you like to work. And I know that I can rely on you for like this amount of information so that I can finish the rest. Or, you know, my digital techs and my assistants that I work with, like they kind of know how I like to name files that I'm going to bring my hard drive, how I like to have my monitors set up or what I'm going to look at and what I won't. 
um, what type of lights I usually like to work with or what I mean when I say something. And that just makes the process really smooth so that I can come in and just think about getting the shots I want and not have to worry about how something else is getting done. I think that's a huge luxury when you're yeah. further along and working on some of those bigger projects. It com- comes from years of work and experience. I feel like that's an old school mentality that I always feel got bad about because I would never want to like tell a young photographer when they're like, how, how do I get to like where you are? And I'm, I'm always just like, I don't know. I've been doing this for a really long time. So I don't have any advice that's not put in your hours, practice, make a bunch of mistakes and accept that you're going to like totally mess up some stuff and like potentially not get a job or lose a client. But that's like kind of just part of the process. Yeah, it was Jeff had a similar quote about running the race and not having there's no shortcuts like there's just I think some people maybe get lucky and can bypass certain things. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, to get to the place where you're at, like you really need to put in time. Totally. And everyone has different, like I said, the context of everyone's life and their creative life always impact those things. I remember I think when I was even still in college and I cannot remember her name, it was in the news. There was this photographer who booked like um, a really big luxury fashion campaign and she was 16 years old. And I remember that news. uh, Something with a T, that young girl, right? Um, It wasn't Tavi. It was somebody else. But Tavi was big at that time too. And she was so young. And I felt like my generation got this sort of preview of like, oh my God, there's people who are like younger than me. You know, I was 20 and I was in photography school. I'm like, oh my God, she already booked like a fashion campaign. She's four (laughs) years younger than me. We definitely got that preview of what that's going to be like. But, you know, if you're a photographer and you don't know, um, you, you don't have enough experience to know about lighting, but, but you've been given a project and you can have crew around you who can light for you. Like, that's great. And you know, you could come into a situation, you know, it's like you go to Malibu and it's cloudy and it's like, what are you going to do? If you're on that job and you don't have your regular assistant that knows what to do for you in those adverse conditions, you could be kind of screwed. So I think sometimes it's good to be really knowledgeable about all the areas you're working in so that you can adapt in adverse situations. You know, if you don't have your regular crew with you, that you rely on to light for you, you know, you're going to be the one that has to light. So you have to be able to direct a new crew on how to do that for you. So I think that's where that experience aspect of it comes in. But of course you can sort of like jump the line and just be like, I'm going to get a big campaign and not assist, not work at milk and just do it. And it's like, you can totally do that, but you just might hit some like bigger bumps along the road. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the truth that maybe no one wants to hear, but yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Yeah, I try to be really encouraging for young photographers and, and really just go back to like the create work idea, mm-hmm. where it's just like you're just putting in the pr- I always thought about the 10,000 hours of practice where it's yeah. like you just want to be shooting, even if your test shoots aren't, you know, you're the model you want to dropped out, like don't cancel your test shoot, book another model even if it's not the one you wanted, you're probably still going to get some great work from it or learn some lessons about other things while you're doing it. So it's always good to just keep pushing forward and work on a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. To wrap it up, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I was kind of just thinking about my younger photographer self 
and thinking about just like misconceptions about the industry that I believed when I was younger. One of what I mentioned earlier was like, you just point lights at things and shoot, which is like not the case. Um, I remember at Brooks, there was a teacher who shot, who taught a celebrity class that I did not take because I wasn't interested in shooting celebrities at the time. And I had heard from students who took his class that he was just like, you just shoot, you just shoot celebrities with beauty dishes. And like, that's it. You don't do anything else, which is like such a dated reference. That's like such an early (laughs) 2000s thing. But I think, I don't think this is the case anymore, but I would just tell my younger self that the photography industry is just not what you think it is. And that can be like a blessing and a curse. And I think there's space for people to just shoot celebrities with like beauty dishes. And there's a space for you to take weird still lifes of fruit. You know, like I think at Brooks, it was a very more traditional advertising school. And I kind of didn't always felt like I belonged. I felt like they were kind of like, well, what, what do you, what do you want your photography, photography career to be? And everyone was just like, I want to shoot for Vogue. I want to have a Vogue cover. I want to shoot what Ian Leibowitz does. And those were just never really my goals. And I kind of felt a little bit odd about that. And I think that can just be like a total strength in your career. It's like, you're not shooting what everyone else is shooting. Your goals are different from everyone else's. And that's like, even though there's so many photographers these days, that's what makes the space for everybody. Like everyone has different goals. Everyone has different interests and everyone has different ways of working. So it's like, even though there's a lot of us bidding against each other for a job, we're always different too. Like when I lose a job to another photographer, I almost feel relieved because I'm like, okay, cool. Well, at least that client didn't want to ask me to shoot like someone else. They just wanted to book me. And if my vision wasn't right for this, then like, that's cool. That's like totally mm-hmm. okay. That's a great, that's, that's great. a really good way to look at yeah. it. Well, I think it's, I tried to just remind myself, I think I would go down the comparison rabbit hole a lot and just be like, well, if that person, like that person's killing it and they're just shooting all the coolest people, they're working with the best teams, their lighting is looking sick. Like now they're doing motion. Like, if that person is in this industry, why bother? You know, like, right. <laughs> like I would really try to boil down where my thinking was coming from. And it's just like, well, if that photographer exists, like, why should I even try? And it's like, that's such a silly way to think about it. When you phrase it that way, you're like, of course, I should exist. The work that I'm creating is worthy and relevant. And like, even if you have two photographers bidding against each other that have very similar work, like, their personalities are different. The way they like to work is different. The way they'll direct the talent is different. So it's like there's space for all of us. Um, and like only clients end up really knowing like what the difference is because they're the ones who work with all of us, but we don't. Mm-hmm. So it's like right. we really should just try to like support each other and share information so that we can all like create our best work and like get paid fairly. I think with the photo editor thing, it's been really eye-opening about what some of the rates are that people are saying yes to. And I think what's cool about that for that audience is, is people, all the comments are always like, well, I'm going to raise my rates like after seeing Mm -hmm. this, because there's people who are taking jobs for even less than that. So I think that transparency is really good for people who are like really selling themselves short, like probably putting in the same amount of work that we are, but just don't know that they can be getting more for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I feel like you're such an open book with all this stuff. I was going to shout out that if anyone hasn't followed Kat on Instagram, you do AMAs, which I really love. Yes. Like every now and then you're just like, 
I'm at the airport. Ask me anything. <laughs> Those They've been really fun. And I do remember someone messaging me and asking if it was good for photographers to know everything, which was such an interesting mm. question. And I sort of touched on it with one of our other questions, but it's like, it's really good to have a little bit of knowledge about all the things so that you can like troubleshoot when things come up or so that you can just bring that knowledge to like your project. Like if you can be a really good retoucher, then you don't have to pay someone to retouch your test shoots. Like when I was starting out, I don't do this anymore, but I did retouch a lot of my jobs because I would make either the same amount of money or even more from just retouching it. Um, And that was like what helped save me when I wasn't making as much money. Um, So having that extra skill set on the side was just super important. So I think it, and then it made me communicate with retouchers better going forward. So I can be like, Hey, I know how to shoot this plate for you. Or I know like what lights I kind of need to get this effect so that you don't have to do all this crazy work in post. Like we can do this in camera or, Hey, this is a really big lean um, on you to sort of make this final image. Can you, you know, can you tell me the things that you need to make this happen? So I think like getting all those skill sets under your belt can be really helpful and talking to people about those things um, is really fun too. There's, there's definitely some juicy questions that come in um, from Instagram too, but um, just, I don't know, just communicating with everybody and, you know, sharing advice and tips like, and all the advice that we all talk about isn't always going to work for everyone. Um, So I always try to remind people, I'm like, you should take this with a grain of salt because what worked for me might not work for you. It's like, how I got an agent, how I got that meeting, how I took that photo. Like even in the studio, it's like you could be in, you could have a lighting plan for it, but you could be in a different studio than you shot it last time. And the studio could be black instead of white Mm -hmm. and your lighting's not going to look the same. So you have to be able to adapt. So I think just taking everyone's advice about this industry with a grain of salt is always recommended because the industry is just so crazy and everyone's experiences are so different. Totally agree. This was fantastic. So good, Kat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I'm such a big fan. I feel like some of the things that you've talked about, I remember you talked about having a job come in and the rate had suddenly doubled and the pressure, (laughs) the pressure of that where you're like, well, I'm going to take the same pictures, but now I'm getting paid more. So like, (laughs) what is, you know, that pressure that you feel? And I had a time where I I told my agent, I was like, I don't even want to see my rate until the job is done because it was getting, it was getting in my head so much when I was on set. Cause I, you know, like I said, I have clients reference these test shoots that I had just done with myself and the model, but now I'm getting paid a lot more money to do them and it would just psych me out. So I think there, there was a few months where I was like, I just don't even want to know, just give me the rates for the crew and I can set everybody up and don't wow. even tell me how much to invoice for until after the job's over so that I could just like not think about it. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's like a secret weapon. Yeah. I think, I mean, that can be when you have an agent, you kind of have those luxuries too, of like having that person kind of be your business partner too, and kind of be like, well, what are some of the goals for this year? You know, they can just be that business brain for you so that you can just be the creative brain. And Because they always have your best interest. If they're a good agent, they have your best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're setting, you know, they're not making you do some crazy job for a shit rate. Totally. Well, yeah, usually they're not trying to do that. They're trying to get you on the a job with a better things. rate. Yeah. But then I also, I look at an agent as like, 
my business brain and mm-hmm. I want to do the creative brain and your agent will always potentially want obviously the best rate for you, but they'll kind of have an eye on the future too, which is just so helpful. And they're kind of like, I see your career going this direction. I see you adding these skills to your portfolio. Um, you know, let's start working on them this year and like really improve on them in the following year. I feel like on a photo editor, there's a lot of talk about that agents are evil. And yeah, I know. It's so sad. It is really sad. I love my agent. I have, I mean, all of the agents I've worked with, I have all really, I've really enjoyed. They've always been really great creative and business partners for me. I'm not saying there aren't bad agents out there. I know that there are. Um, but I think getting an agent is just like getting married and it's like, you're going to have good times. You're going to have bad times. And you just kind of need to make sure you vibe with that person. I just, I've had people message me and say, you know, should I get an agent? I just had a meeting with these two people. And I just have to say, like, you've got to go with your gut on that kind of stuff. Like if you get a good feeling from this person, then you should kind of just go with it. Or if you think that you should meet with more people, you should just go with that instinct instead of trying to like force something. But agents are awesome. They can be (laughs) if you want one, but you don't have to have one. If, if everything you're doing is working, you don't need one. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I totally agree. A hundred percent. It's what you make of it. It's like it's totally you what have... you make of it. Um, I did notice though, after I got an agent, I mean, I felt my career kind of catapult a little bit. I felt like I was getting exposure to like bigger projects, bigger clients, bigger production companies. I felt like my work get better. I felt my crews get better. Um, like I just did, I really noticed a difference and with the volume I'm working, I can't, even imagine handling it myself. I know there's a lot of photographers who don't have agents and they hire a studio manager. And I feel like that makes a lot of sense too. Um, But I'm just really happy with where I'm at. And I think that it's totally possible um, to get a good agent and they're not all the worst. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you back because I feel like I feel like I could talk to you forever. There's so much to talk about. We'll have to do a part two. Sounds good. I would love that. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas on future episodes, email us at photodump.club at gmail.com. Photodump was created by Ren Fuller and Jennifer Chong. Thank you to Sam Fuller for our cover art and overall tech support. Our music was created by Daniel Smith. You can find me on Instagram at jchongstudio. And me at Ren underscore Fuller. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 